welcome to the Spicy PL Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Spicy PL Podcast. This is episode 29 here. This is Alex, a.k.a. Big Babble. We got Big Joe Capolino, and we got James, Big Peachy Boy Marcotte. What up? Today, we got a very special guest, Mr. Sean Noriega, Nori Powerlifting. Thank you very much for joining us. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, we do appreciate you coming on to talk some spicy powerlifting with us. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. I always love being on podcasts and just shooting the shit. So I was I was happy to make time for this and happy to be on here. Nice good stuff, man. Yeah. So I guess like the big issue that we wanted to talk about just right off the bat is the whole mask gate issue with um <laughs> <laughs> prepared with your mask gate where you were like you were kind of attacked, uh, I think singled out really. Um, for, you know, some, some, you did, uh, was it the New Hampshire or Ma- what, 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 New what Hampshire, Vermont, New, New Hampshire, New Vermont, New Hampshire, Vermont. Yep. Meet where you hit a, a pretty impressive total. Is that a PR total? Is that eight, uh, 825, 825, 825. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I guess your, your total was disqualified because, um, I guess what was the official reason? So, so yeah, the total was initially disqualified. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys have questions that you want to ask, but to give you the short and sweet of this specific topic, um, it was disqualified literally the day after I competed. I got an email from the USAPL saying that it was disqualified. And then I was undergoing, you know, some sort of uh, provisional suspension, went through an appeal process. And then um, probably like six weeks later, it ended up getting overturned. Um, but yeah, the reason was for the mask. Um, yeah. And no is that re- just based on like s- photos that were on social media? Yeah. So, so basically what had happened was, uh, do you guys want me to just tell the whole story right now? Or is, yeah, is I, good I guess you, you can, I mean, you don't, if you're sick of talking about it, you can give the, like the short and sweet or, you know, no, I mean, I'm, pretty, I'm sure there's not, I'm sure there's, there's enough of um separation between like the the king of the lifts podcast audience and your guys's audience where they're probably a bunch of people people who would want to listen to that guy kind of sucks so they (laughs) want to listen to us either (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i've i've only told it once so uh basically what happened was you know this was like the first weekend of meets pretty much where things were starting to resume uh or competitions were allowed to resume and, you know, everyone's wearing their masks. Everything's fine. Um, like my first two squat attempts had my mask on. Everybody pretty much had their masks on. And then a lifter who I would normally train with, who was also competing in the meet, asked whoever the technical coordinator was. I forget his name. He's just like the, the bald dude who's, you know, always emceeing. I, I forget his name. But he asked him, he's like, is it okay if our... If our <laughs> it's uh, probably if this our, guy named Jerry. I'm not sure. I yeah. honestly don't remember the name. But <laughs> he was Jerry. He asked. He's he from asked Vermont, him. That guy. He asked if um, it was okay if your mask was below your nose, and he was literally just like, "Yeah, we don't give a fuck." So <laughs> it's Vermont, when that, bro. <laughs> when that when that precedent got set, um, you know, if if my mask came off during my squat, you know, I'm not going to change it. And the thing is, like, 
the the refs didn't say anything to me um you know the technical coordinator didn't say anything the meet directors didn't say anything and it was kind of one of those scenarios where like you know if you because i submitted a whole appeal to the usapl and had full videos and pictures and everything like my mask was on prior to coming out for my third squat and then it came off my nose um there were other attempts where obviously it wasn't on my nose to start with um but basically the whole, the whole focus of my appeal was that, you know, when it comes to some sort of equipment malfunctions, like there's like an order of authority when it comes to addressing it, right? Like the TC is supposed to check that everything's worn mm-hmm. properly. And then if the TC doesn't catch it, the judge is supposed to say something. And like, nobody had said anything to me um, during the meet. Nobody said anything to me after the meet. Um, there were a bunch of other lifters who were kind of, you know, following the same lax guidelines. Like it was actually funny. There's one picture of me waiting for my third squat where it's me and seven other people, including somebody working the meet. And I'm the only one with the mask fully on my face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw that. So there, yeah. There were, there were a couple of different things that I had put in my appeal, but it basically the whole central theme of it was like rules relax. Somebody working the meet literally said, you know, disregard what the CDC rules are. And then just that I was singled out. Um, after the meet had happened, I guess somebody who's a judge or a ref in California, so it wasn't even at the meet, posted it in the USAPL refs group. And then that just kind of started, you know, getting traffic. Oh, yeah, nothing of- good happens on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Well, was like so the, that got a was bunch of screenshot, Like the screenshot yeah. of your comment or whatever. Yeah. Oh, so that's a good point. That was another thing that I included in my um in my appeal so the guy who commented was actually a friend of mine from mit and like i was fucking around with him he's never competed in the usapl before so i was just like yeah this looks horrible like this doesn't it's not a good look but like i was fucking around with one of my friends and you know it got a bunch of traffic in that facebook group people started speculating who i like there when i saw screenshots of the group I knew that they were like, I saw the names and I knew that these people already didn't like me. They're like, he's making a political statement. He's anti-mask. <laughs> yeah. blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. And then I was like, I'm not even, I'm not even anti-mask. Like I was I, in my appeal. I was like, I have a mom who's has had, you know, two collapsed lungs, like emphysema, all these issues. I'm like, I have no issues wearing a mask and trying to keep people safe. Like a couple days before the meet, I'd gotten COVID tested and was negative. Um, and I put that in the appeal, like there was just a bunch of different things that kind of solidified everything. And it was, you know, I understand the USAPL having to take action because there's, you know, outrage over a situation that's serious to a lot of people. Um, but the way that it was discussed and and portrayed was just like, it was a limited scope and, and, and a one-sided narrative. And most of it was conducted by people who weren't even at the meet. Yeah, it definitely seems like you were targeted and singled out, but I think like you definitely have a target on your back for sure. Like I think a lot of the folks in the USAPL have had their you know feathers ruffled, and you do seem like kind of more of like a uh, someone that likes to stir up the pot a little bit and post and uh, you know criticize the USAPL. So I I could definitely see um, you know having to be cautious around that, but it definitely seemed unfair to me I, when I saw it. I was like, all right, well. I think this guy is just, you know, trying to get a little bit of an advantage, maybe trying to bend the rules a little bit, but like it didn't, it didn't seem like such an egregious thing to get, uh, 
you know, DQ'd for. Yeah, people were like, oh, he failed his drug test. And I was like, you wouldn't know the next day. Like There was rumors everywhere. Like <laughs> I remember I, like, I was like, what, were, like, what the hell happened? Because yeah, some people posted that there was WADA, like, WADA stuff. But People were speculating a bunch of different things. Like I saw so many screenshots of comments where people were telling other people what the real reason was yeah. that my total was qualified. People were saying he failed a drug test. People were saying he uh violated quarantine people were saying his membership wasn't active like it was just like the membership all this- thing oh, yeah, was, yeah. yeah that was dumb i was <laughs> like what if he would have uh, just got a new membership like at the meet they wouldn't have let him compete yeah. his membership was invalid well what about uh this theory that uh because you had this guy what is his name michael Jin handling you at the yeah. meet and he was suspended that you got suspended from some kind of wada code or whatever so i i also heard that thrown around as a theory um so i didn't get into any trouble with the USAPL over that. Um, so Michael was not there to handle me. Like you could go look through the receipts for the meet. Daniela was my handler. Um, Michael has enough, you know, airline miles to fly back and forth between, you know, Texas and New York a hundred times. So he was like, I just want to come hang out. And then he ended up handling another lifter, um, Evan Glassgold. Um, yeah during that meet and and michael unfortunately ended up getting you know disciplined for being there i guess there's some discrepancy in the rule book actually because um you know michael had been suspended uh two years ago i believe for a um it was some sort of like cardiovascular enhancing substance that was found in his drug test it was like a, a you know kind of like one of those metabolite cases where they just catch a trace amount of it um and he had appealed it you know, said it was because of the the pre-workout he was taking that had that company had previously been under fire for stuff in the past, couldn't shake the appeal. And then I guess based on the rule book, there's something that says, you know, suspended lifters can be at meets if they're coaches or handlers. But I guess because it was a WADA violation, I think in 2015 or 2016, WADA released this like guilty by association rule where they're basically like, if you're banned by WADA, like you're not allowed to be anywhere near. Um, it's like my own can't come to any meets and stuff, right? Like, Pretty even much. Though he's nationals. <laughs> yeah, he's everywhere. He's at the Arnold yeah. and whatever. But yeah. I want to back up a little bit for the mask thing because I, I think, did you say the TC who told you you can have it under your nose was a ball guy who usually MCs? Yeah. Is he like a crazy MC kind of? He gets kind of fired up, yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's probably this guy Jerry. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> it's definitely Jerry, and uh, he competed yesterday. We were at a we were at the Mass State Championships. Alex and Luis competed, and Jerry was in our flight because, uh, and we actually warmed up with him because uh, it was an equipped flight. At the end of the, it was the third session, and mm-hmm. Jerry came out with a mask. <laughs> oh my god! This mask was cut in half. So when he talked, it looked like he was like Pac-Man. And I turned and I go, what the fuck is the point of that? <laughs> and he came back with a surgical mask. I think someone told him, like, dude, that's not a mask. Like, that's just like a it's like a faux mask that opened when yeah. you talked. And I was like, what? Yeah. So it's definitely him. So I think that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. When the, when this shit happened, actually, we had just started our podcast, you know, Um like a lot of other podcasts out there, we started in March or April. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're about thirty episodes in, but this kind of happened. Like, wh- when was the meet? April? No, this meet was July. 
Oh, it was in July. All right, so we, yeah. we were we were a decent amount we in. Wrong. I can't remember the timing because this year has been a blur. But basically, yeah. like I did say, like it's if nobody at the meet said anything to Sean, then how could it be a rule violation based on social media? What I didn't like was, you know, I did think that this guy Michael Jin was your handler, and I knew he had a failed drug test. I knew he was advertising like, you know, USAPL coach on his website while he was technically banned from the federation. So mm -hmm. I kind of put it out there like, hey, this guy's maybe not the best person to fly up. And also I said about, you know, you know, you mentioned Daniela was there and then we thought Michael was there with you as well. I was like, why the fuck you need two handlers for a raw meet? And why are all these people from dis different states, including yourself, crossing state lines into Vermont where uh, to do a meet? At the end of the day, it's not like. A critic it's not like a like a hold the line criticism but i just think i said you know maybe there was a string of bad decisions that make you look bad and so you're not going to yeah. really get out of this one you know what i'm saying like texas yeah. at the time was like you don't want anybody from texas coming to new england um and that's where mike it looks like that's where michael's from yeah, so yeah. you know i kind of was on the mass thing like that's bullshit but on the other because you guys thought that was the real reason we did end up having Larry on the pod and we didn't talk about it because you guys were going through the appeal, you know? So, yeah. so it was, it's good to have you here to tell the story um, because we weren't able to talk about it with Larry. Um, but like, really, I want to know, first of all, the, your thoughts on what I said about Michael and, and stuff like that, but also like, how is it dealing with Larry and stuff? Like how much can you talk about the appeal? Cause I've been close to some appeal processes through some degrees of separation. And it seems pretty fucking seems pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess to touch on the Michael thing at first, I mean, you're definitely right. Like you have the mask violation, which to a lot of people already pisses them off. You know, people had already been mad about me at, on other things. And then it's like, you look around the situation. You're like, okay, he was coming from out of state. This person flew out of state. This person flew out of state and was banned. It's like it all just kind of compounds. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, from for from my perspective, um, the meet when when we signed up for it literally says it's not you know limited to people from New Hampshire, Vermont. Granted, COVID's going on, but there was no restriction. Um, I had been training down here in my basement and not leaving my house pretty much that entire time. Um, like I, like I said, I had personally gotten COVID tested. So I don't think that I was irresponsible for personally traveling. Um, again, like the whole Michael thing, I could see how, you know, his traveling is something to be worried about. Ultimately, you know, again, he wasn't there for me. Yeah. Also, mm -hmm. you know, at a local meet, you can call your own numbers. Like I called my own numbers. It's not, you know, it's a no brainer to, to handle yourself. It's raw too, dude. You don't need a handler either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, Daniela was there to, you know, to help out. And then for, you know, just, I want you know, wanted to spend time with her, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, there was no, um, I guess, coercion on my part to have Michael there. Um, I guess to talk a little bit more about him and like the whole situation with his failure, you know, like I, I know Michael very well. Um, I personally, you know, I think it's unfortunate. I understand. And I think that it's, you know, you break the rules, you, you know, however it happens, you break the rules, you suffer the consequences. Um, but I do think it's unfortunate just because, you know, he is a very, um, very like selfless person when it comes to helping out the lifting communities. Like just to give you an example, um, like over the past few years, he lives in or lived in Houston and he would drive, you know, like ER racks 
from Houston to like Dallas for uh, for Garcia, just so that he had like enough racks in the warm up room, and he would literally drive him up and then go back home. Um, and like with the with the nature of the the um, testing failure, it's like it was trace amounts of a drug that wouldn't even help you in lifting. Mm-hmm. So it was just one of those scenarios where it's like he was probably being just stupid and careless for not, you know, taking like a reputable supplement. Um, but you know, it is what it is. You know, you have to, you have to deal with the consequences of, of your decisions, but it's just, you know, to me, I'm just like, well, you know, this is a, a shitty situation. Cause I think he's, you know, been a, a, a positive person to be mm-hmm. in the, in the USAPL yeah, community. I think we've all seen like a lot of the USAPL drug testing failures aren't necessarily for anabolics or, diuretics i mean a lot of good people make mistakes um a lot of times when it's for pre-workouts or you know there's things you know i'm like come on because it's so easy to not do that Um, exactly you know we've been i've been getting drug tests for 15 years or or guys like or jen thompson or dave ricks and you know they never made a mistake you know and it's just like so i get it but yeah we, we a lot of good people do go down because of the technicalities, but it is what it is. It has to yeah, be there. Sure. You know, you've pa- I'm sure you've yeah. passed plenty of tests. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They, I'm sure they knock uh, on your door all the time. <laughs> and then, and then to address the Larry thing, I mean, fortunately I don't have to, um, you know, be worried about what I'm about to say because I didn't really deal with Larry directly. Um, mm-hmm. because the way that the appeal process worked is, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but the people listening might not is, you know, the EC is made up of all of the, you know, Mm -hmm. officer positions, but they have a disciplinary committee that's made up of different positions. And basically what happens is like the EC sends you your, you know, sanction, your, your suspension, whatever. And then you appeal to the disciplinary committee. So the way that it works, you know, for everybody listening is like, you submit your appeal to the disciplinary committee, you have 15 days to do it they read it over and then make a recommendation to the executive committee. So it was like, I was dealing with the disciplinary committee. They read through my whole appeal and they say, you know, we think he's guilty. We think he's not. They send that on to Larry and everybody in the EC and they can choose to say, you know, we agree with you, you know, he's fine. Or, you know what, fuck it. We don't, we don't like this guy. We're going to, you know, get him in trouble. So the end result of it was that my total got reinstated. They basically were like, we still think you're guilty, but you're not suspended. So it was like one of those things where you're like, you're a schmuck, but you know, just don't do it again. Yeah. We, we saw your total was reinstated. And then I was like, we should, we should finally ask him to be on because now I, I knew you could probably talk about more of this stuff, but you know, we saw your total was reinstated because your boy, Kevin can was posting about it. He has a hard on for you, <laughs> <laughs> but he's not a topic for today. Um, should you bench straight? Or should you bench slightly <laughs> back? Dude, the pecs are just a stabilizer, man. They don't do anything. It's all triceps. I don't know, man. I've been trying to get my pecs bigger for 15 years. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, so with the U- USAPL kind of like, kind of gunning for you at times, I guess I'm curious, like, are you really loyal to USAPL or like, do you consider going USPA? I know a lot of people go in USPA tested or like in your mind, like, so it's it's funny you say that because you know a lot of people have made the same comments you are where you're like you know um you know you've had a lot of criticisms of the usapl and you know you might think that i would not want to be associated but 
No, I'm like 100% loyal to the USAPL. I absolutely have no desire to compete USPA. Um, I, you know, I think the USAPL is the best from a from a judging standpoint, from a from a meet condition standpoint. And honestly, at this level, like even from a production standpoint, like the stuff that, you know, Luis is doing at nationals and just like, I think that I think that the USAPL has actually taken steps toward like, okay, you know, production value, social media, all this sort of stuff is actually important for us to grow as a sport and, you know, taking that to heart. Um, I, you know, my criticisms in the past, like, I think I've been more tame in the past year, year and a half than maybe previous years. But I mean, when I, you know, when I'm critical of something, it's cause like, I, I value the, the person or the organization and I want to see them mm-hmm. do, you know, the best thing for their members. So, yeah. you know, I, I want it to be the case that nobody has the desire to leave because I, I, you know, there's no, for drug tested lifters, there's no level of competition that's anywhere near, you know, what we have. So. Yeah. I, I do think that like, as you get older and for you, you know, specifically and in general, you kind of like start to figure it out more. Um, and uh, shout out to Luis. Yeah, sponsors are technically sponsors our podcast with our audio equipment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was your age and I, I, I think I told you this and I had a coach and mentor, basically I was getting myself in trouble. I was on the doorstep of the EC disciplinary committee a few times. And then it took <laughs> me actually going, I went through this uh, process with the IPF disciplinary, disciplinary committee. Um, but basically he said like, dude, you got to just shut your fucking mouth on social media. And, yeah. uh, you know, this, this is at the age when Instagram really wasn't a big thing. And it was me talking a lot of trash on Facebook. Um, yeah. you know, and I'm 21 years old. I mean, that person is, is, uh, Sherman Ledford. So shout out Sherman. Yeah. Shout out quest nutrition and Athletics. quest nutrition, our, uh, title sponsor, um, check their stuff out. But he, he actually was a great help because he basically told me to shut my fucking mouth. And, you yeah. know, I made a real effort just to lay low on Facebook for a while. Um, and then, you know, Instagram started to become the place for social media. And, you know, I don't really get into big conversations on Instagram. I think it's great. And I don't even log into my Facebook anymore because I don't want to see what's going on on the ref page or the USAPL page. I don't even want to see the shit because I yeah, just get I too enticed. In years, man. So I get it. And I, I think you've done a good job of that. But I think, you know, it. I think, you know, you're a smart guy. You probably understand, like, you know, with this issue and then, you know, one the, an, another topic we want to talk about was backtracking. Like, I really didn't love the Rogue Rack stuff going on in, uh, was that 2019? Did you ever, was, did you uh, ever personally? Was it 2019? 2019. I think yeah. so because they, the they 20, rolled it out at the Arnold. The 2019 Arnold, we were using the Rogue Rack. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, then yeah. we used it at Open Nationals in Chicago right? Equip nationals in Chicago in May. And so I think everybody had the expectation that it would be at raw nationals in Chicago in October. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know uh, you and, and a lot of other people had like acquired a rack or a fat pad to like bench on. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, I'll say it's awesome. My PR bench is from that meet. Um, so I guess my question is like, did you, was there discipline for that or was that just like a side conversation with Larry or like so what, was, what, what was, was the down and dirty on that? Yeah, there, there was a conversation and like, obviously looking back at that, I'm like, there was no reason to get, you know, so fired up about something like that. Um, I think he had a good point, but like, 
I also hated the rogue rack. Fucking hate that. I like the rogue rack. Hey, it's all it's all your guys' fault. You fatties couldn't fit in the rack, so you had to. Uh, I hated the. Yeah, I complained about the rogue rack after the Arnold and Open Nationals. My forearms were like extremely bruised and swollen from squatting with the racks in and having my hands out because the pipe is just so fucking big. And the spotters are pushing you forward with a thousand pounds, and I just got fucking decimated. I couldn't even deadlift. Yeah, I think Sean has like the sentiment of his argument is actually. He's for I, the lifters. Yeah, he's for the lifters, but I think having it more um, uniform, having more standard to everything, uh, you know, might be a good thing for the sport. Having it be very repeatable, having all the same, we have the same, you know, calibrated plates and stuff, and having yeah, it be more similar. Because like to I think Olympics. it was a function of of what had happened in previous years, where like in 2018 there were different racks on different platforms at Raw Nationals. There were different bars being used in the same meet. Um, mm, and that's and all like bullshit. I, you know, it's coming yeah. off of is being kind of an, ag- an aggressor is not the, the right way to go about it. But I think that, you know, when you have high level meets where you're paying more and more money in both fees, you know, and membership fees every year, it's like, I don't want, you know, Putting it bluntly, I don't want Greg Page rolling out his 30-year-old ER rack for yeah. fucking <laughs> Greg Page. <laughs> Shout out Greg Page. He might yeah. he might listen to this. Yeah. All the equipped Greg, old heads are Greg's on here. Man, but that rack is <laughs> yeah. yeah. I agree with the sentiment of the argument, especially if it's during the same meet and you have different I, racks. I, I think it's growing yeah. pains. I think, you know, there's a generation of lifters that probably are more my age or older where we're so used to getting like the shit kicked out of us and having bad condition. I mean, yeah. my first few of my meets were on regular b- power bars and pound plates. And I thought that was normal. Um, yeah. you know, and I've gone, I've flown all over the world to compete and you see some horrible built platforms, horrible conditions, horrible hotels. And we're just so used to it. I'm like, well, whatever's fuck. I remember in 2018, someone texted me that the warm up rooms in Spokane didn't have, um, racks that the arms went in they were strong arm yeah. sport racks and i remember texting back i don't fucking care my last warm's 881 i'll figure it out like <laughs> right so like i didn't even fucking care but yeah. i think i i mean that's the mentality we we have the older lifters like we don't expect that that consistency because we're fucking stupid and we're used to it but i think you know your generation of lifters and you know it's a it's a positive attribute you guys are like really technically detailed with your lifting the stuff matters i mean it matters for us too but we like take it on the chin and you guys expect better um so i think that there might have just been that gap too where some people were like well fuck this guy just everybody has to lift on the same stuff and then a lot of people obviously were on your side because they wanted the consistency and i and at the end of the day i really think it's just growing pains where the usapl is getting used to running thousand person meets and i think the only unfortunate thing about all these young lifters is that they don't know how good they have it now. Yes. Even after after yeah. this year's Arnold, I posted a picture of what Luis put up at this year's Arnold and I posted a picture of the 2011 Arnold where there were just yeah. where it was just a projector screen and a black curtain. I said, "You motherfuckers are lucky. Stop complaining." <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I dude, I I 100% agree with you. You know, I think I mean, you you guys, you know, shit on it all the time with the younger lifters being super entitled, and I agree. Um, you know, the way that I, the way that I treat it, you know, I played, I played baseball for like 15 years and, you know, the thing about baseball is like, you fail a lot. You kind of have to just, like you said, take it on the chin. So it's like, when you're there, 
like you and everyone else have to deal with the same atmosphere, whether it's great or whether it's shitty. So once you're there, it's like fucking figure it out. But, you know, just from like the outside perspective, like, you know, Alex said of wanting to have, you know, the best standard, especially if you're paying a lot is, you know, I just, you know, want what is what is best for the lifters. But, you know, as time has passed, especially with seeing, you know, how, you know, two Arnold's ago was run, how last nationals was run, how this past year's uh, Arnold was run. I'm like, you know, I've come to the conclusion that you have about it being growing pains where, you know, I, I think the USAPL is really doing what they can, you know, to make sure that, you know, the lifters have the best meat experience they can. Whereas maybe two years ago, I didn't necessarily feel that way. Yeah. There's a big push and pull like, um, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have led screens. We paid 50 bucks for, to enter national meet and you didn't have to pay for coaches passes or anything. And now it's like, there's a balance of power. Like, okay, now it's 150 bucks to do a meet. A coach's pass is $40, $60. And so it's like, you know, the production goes up, money goes up. People complain about the money. Production goes back down. You know, Steve Mann <laughs> doesn't get LED screens, right? And yeah. then, you know, then it's going to go back up because then, you know, it's just going to be like that for a while until everything is the same. Everybody has yeah. LED screens. Yeah. Everybody has six rogue racks you know it's got to find yeah. its equilibrium yeah speaking will. of you guys see this meet in virginia was it it was in virginia yeah this the shop did, did they get shut down yeah dude so i wasn't there but i you know i had uh uh friends who were there i had you know my coaches had lifters there the am session happened and then i think the pm session like some health inspector or official came in and was like you guys are over occupancy, you know, this is, this is shutting down. And kids were literally warming up like for their squats and then we're told to But then I think I'm, I could be wrong on this part, but I feel like I remember seeing somewhere that like once people left, the meat directors resumed the meat. But okay. people didn't know that. <laughs> so the yeah. kids got well, to there left. There were already kids who were like packing it up and going to do a mock meet at their local gym. And like half an hour later, the meat directors were like, fuck it, let's keep going. Yeah, I, we heard about that because we were at a meet yesterday and, and Eric Cordero was like, I hope we like, you know, we maybe had 18 people in a room in the warm room, like nine lifters and nine coaches for eight, the equip sessions, yeah. eight people in the flight or nine. Yeah. And yeah, so it's like double that because you're an equip lifter and you get one handler and the limit in mass for a licensed event in a room is 25. So we're just counting people. And he's like worried about because this meet in Virginia got canceled. But you know, what I have to say about that is I saw videos of the meet yeah. this guy's running down at that whatever gym that is. And yeah, they have spectators, you know, Cramming they have one. two plot. Like, it's just it's it, it seems like it's it's just dumb. They're it disregarding the, the rules, state, though. Yeah. It has to oh, do with dude, the state I mean, too. not to I mean, I'm saying not to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm literally throwing them under the bus. The meet <laughs> that I went to record, the meet that I was the winner record. At, yeah, it was fucking packed. It was <laughs> yeah, packed. Yeah. They were probably like. I don't even know. Definitely over a hundred people there. Easy. Is that the one that Pug the Goat was supposed to do? Yeah, that's the one he didn't do. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? Did you do you know like the story about his weight cut or whatever? Like he he was. I don't know if I should chime in on this, but I just know that he uh, he had anticipated his portable sauna working. Yeah. How then... dumb does that sauna? It's like a portable like uh, jack off uh, protector, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Singing out, you can be doing whatever you want underneath there, right? Yeah, it looks, never, it looks pretty dumb. One. From what I remember, I think he's used it in the past. 
I guess didn't have luck with it this time around and then just decided to call it from what I've heard. Well, I would say to expect him in your weight class kind of yeah. soon. <laughs> we, we were talking some shit about that. Like I, I, I uh, clicked on his YouTube video and like watched like five minutes and skipped around. But like they got a hotel room that was like supposedly 10 minutes away from the meet, even though he lives 20 minutes away. And then like they're trying to make weight. It's like, you know, an hour before weigh-ins and he's like a kilo heavy or half a kilo heavy and they decide just to like stop trying and then just like he doesn't lift or anything i'm like you know at least he, like lift and then post up a total and be like hey at least you know i missed weight but you know my total is this close to taylor's or whatever like he's talking so much shit about taylor and like i was just like this kid's ridiculous man what like and i mean i've been in this exact same situation at bench nationals like four years ago whatever the fuck it was and i was like you know, almost an entire kilo over an hour and a half before the meet, and I'm grabbing sweatshirts, sweatpants, like we turning on the bathroom hot it. as hell, yeah. turn, creating a sauna in the bathroom. Yeah, I make it barely, yeah. oh, and then Epsom I lift like salt. shit. Yeah, you know Epsom what I mean? Like whatever. Bath. I took it on the chin. Yeah, you lifted like, like shit. It, it is what it is. But like, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't this kid just like, if he's gonna bother to sign up for the meet and go there and go through all this bullshit, just like lift at the meet, whether you made weight or not? I don't know. I weird. mean, I I personally will, you know, if if it's morning of the meet, like I'm going to till till down to the wire, I'm going to try to make weight, whether it's, you know, uh, spitting, throwing on layers, hopping on a bike, running in circles, jacking up the heat in the car. You know, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to try did that yesterday. Yeah, I did that yesterday. <laughs> all of those. <laughs> well, and it doesn't even seem like he stepped on the scale weigh ins like that's kind of ridiculous to me. Yeah, I mean, he didn't he didn't show up to the venue. Yeah, so that's whack. Yeah, but the winner record was definitely like way out of proportion for this day and age. Like you saw us in Fort Collins. Like obviously we're down to be at an event. We were at a meet yesterday, you know, but like as long as there's some controls and like admittedly, I was a little upset in Fort Collins because nobody was wearing their masks. But, you know, the comments that we got was like the New England crew. We all wear our masks. I lifted in my mask, yeah. never took it off while I was lifting. I was you know, had a tight ass bench shirt on sweating my eyes and I still left my mask on, you know? So yeah. we, we try our best. We're not going to stay in our houses, but the winter wrecker and those guys in Virginia are running some stupid ass events. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, people were wearing their masks, but yeah, it was, it was definitely more people than I imagine they are allowed to have in Virginia in mm -hmm. one place. Yeah. <laughs> So you don't want to venture into any uh, any talking about Pug the Goat. Do you guys have like you just want to keep it professional? Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 leave that one alone. <laughs> All right. All right. That's fine. Dude, right, how we'll much talk, how we'll much talk shit about? It. Yeah, how much weight do you typically cut? Um, not much. It's usually about 3 kilos. Um I usually walk around 86 kilos. Um I would say that you know, somebody asked me this recently, actually, you know, there are some days where I'll get up to 87, but that's usually kind of like a, um, basically like the reduced activity in the week before like my biggest session of the week. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't, I don't, you know, I track my calories very strictly and I don't have off day and on day macros. I just eat static throughout the week. So the days where I'm less active, my weight jumps up. And then after that, you know, Friday session, it comes back down. So you don't use any I'm like carb manipulation. For what? For making like you weight? don't vary your macros on like training days yeah. for carbs. You load up. You oh, load up so carbs. So if I have, so if I have like, 
like scheduled refeeds, I'll do that. But in terms of dropping carbohydrates for like off days, and I don't, I don't do that. I keep, um, you know, my macros Monday through Sunday, uh, excluding any point in time where I'll have like a scheduled refeed. Um, I keep everything pretty much the same. How much do you think your weight cut affects your performance? Do you, or like, I guess like maybe uh, go a little bit into the actual protocol of your weight cut. Is it just like a straight yeah. water load cut? <laughs> And like, how, how do you think it affects your performance? Yeah. When if, the fuck are you going to bench 500 in a meet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or so squat 300 I, keys. I would, I would argue that it does not particularly affect me. Um, so the way that I cut, um, I don't manipulate calories. Um, I don't manipulate carbs. Everything is pretty much, um, you know, water and sodium uh, towards the end of the water load. So basically the, the I guess the, not unconventional, but things that I do that maybe some people don't are, um, I never really taper water down. Um, I know some people when they water cut, they'll like the last day they're barely drinking. Um, usually what I'll do is just reduce sodium enough so that I can keep drinking and stay hydrated as long as possible. But since the sodium's down, you know, I'm going to flush out more water because, you know, you become too dilute, right? So your body wants to flush it out. And then the last two days I'll switch to like really low weight, low residue foods. Um, so like all protein coming from liquid, um, a lot of carbs coming from liquid versus solid food sources. So like a lot of juice, um, you know, uh, chocolate, for example, for fats, just cause it's, you know, pretty calorie dense despite being super light. Um, and usually that's enough, you know, I don't have to do anything the day of, um, Sounds the times I, that's exactly times what I used I, to do actually. No, I'm just saying eating yeah. chocolate and drinking orange juice sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean the last, the last two days, it's like you eat like a five-year-old, but it, you know, <laughs> you, feel, you feel fine up until like maybe the night before. Um, and then occasionally I've had times where I've woken up maybe, you know, uh, a pound or a kilo over, but I'll usually just like, I buy like a 100 pack, you know, 100 count pack of, of Jolly Ranchers. And then I'll just spit with that. And that usually will do, you know, that does the job of getting the, the kilo or whatever it might be out. Um, and, you know, you're not going to lose strength from, from spitting. Um, I do think that there, there are definitely times in the, cause I've done, you know, I've done 20 USAPL meets by this point and I've cut for all of them. Um, and I would say that there have definitely been meets that I've done, especially early on where, you know, recomping after a weight cut is not a comfortable thing to do. So most people think that they're doing enough and then it ends up not being enough. Right. So it's been like over time, I've realized just how much I have to gain back, just how much I need to drink, all that sort of stuff. Cause I remember like the, you know, the first Arnold that I did where I made a, you know, a, a cut about this magnitude. I remember walking out my opening or my uh, last warm up squat and my legs are just jello. I'm like, Oh yep. I'm not rehydrated enough. Um, but I've just gotten very comfortable being uncomfortable. Like I, I normally eat like a slob, just like I eat very fast. I can eat a lot. So it, it, it helps on, on meat day. Um, I always check my weight on meat day after the recomp to make sure that I've gotten up to the weight that I normally train at. I make sure that I'm, you know, peeing two or three times. Um, you know, I, I have the plan of bringing, the amount of, you know, liquids and sodium that I need and aim to finish that within the first hour, hour 15 after weigh-in. So it's like, it's a very aggressive approach. Um, and I think that it definitely, you know, I think that I definitely recomp well enough for it not to affect me. Um, I feel like a lot of people get affected 
by cuts on their squats. I've never felt that. Um, I'd say if it hits anything, it hits my bench a little bit. Um, it always got my squat about, the worst for sure. Yeah, like, I think it affects most people for squats. One, because of leverage, and two, it's the first lift. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it has to do with being the first lift a lot because, like, even though I'm drinking a lot and I'm peeing and I'm feeling good, it I feel like it just doesn't settle until, yeah. like, an yeah. hour or so after. And Your then by bench, I actually feel pretty good. I've, I've also, like, I've handled a lot of people who have done cuts. I've obviously never cut. <laughs> um, but I've – how many times, like, uh, you know, I've had to unscrew and rescrew a belt a lever yeah. belt because you know the people have that sinking feeling they go to put their belt on and even though they think they recomp their belt is too loose right yeah. and so we're tightening the lever belts at last second and shit like that so like is, have you ever noticed that like you go to put your belt on and it's not normal no i usually like i said i i will step back on the meat scale you know an hour after weigh-ins and make sure that i'm up you know the yeah. 10 pounds or so that i need to be yeah, three keys um, is not three keys is not yeah, that th much. This is a thing that no. affects equipped lifters because even if you recomp and you get all this liquid in you, um, and food and sodium, it feels like maybe it doesn't get into your legs, right? And yeah. so a lot of people like it's just such another level where you're going to put like a finely tuned stuff has to fit right. Yeah, a finely tuned piece of single ply equipment on, and it doesn't fit right, and you're just like fuck. I think part of that too is also like I don't know what protocols these people are using, but they might also mm -hmm. be carb depleted. I don't so think like, they're I doing think, as much as Sean yeah. does. Yeah, you know? I don't think they're doing think, as much as Sean is doing. I think doing. there's a no. Go ahead. Yeah, and I was just saying, um, like your car, your carb depletion. They they may be cutting carbs and not loading, like reloading their carbs up enough going into the meat, and then their muscle glycogen is gonna affect how their gear fits. Yeah, as Sean's well. not cutting carbs. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah a good exactly. Point. Yeah, and I don't. I think, I I think there's a lot of little things that people don't think matters that actually, you know, it does. Um, like I've seen a study done on weight cuts, and the study was like you can cut carbs for a week and your performance will be the same. And like, I don't care what that paper says. Like I've seen people do it and they get <laughs> it's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. And there's new, there's no, new like stuff coming out actually contrary to that. If you follow Greg Knuckles, uh, shout out stronger by science. Is that it? Um, I think they're mass. Isn't it mass now? Or, and mass, or they have mass is like your subscription to, they basically distill, uh, you know, scientific journals into like concise, like summaries yeah. and pick out the ones they like, but they also have a podcast, but they're also, um, they're highlighting that there's a new study contrary to that, that shows type two muscle fibers actually deplete glycogen faster or don't, you know, don't perform as well, uh, you know, when you're depleted a certain amount yeah. as opposed to fully depleted. So yeah. anybody that's ever like also, loaded up knows you're stronger when you're in a nice calorie surplus yeah, and have carb exactly. loaded up. It's like, you feel also, the difference. These studies, I mean, one of the bigger limitations of these studies is like, you're not getting an Ashton Ruska and Russell Orhe in the fucking lab. You're getting some scrub who bench presses like 150 yeah. pounds. Yeah. Where it's <laughs> like University of Miami campus, like rec center or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. You're not getting reliable, reliable data there. Um, yeah. But like, you know, another thing is like people won't track their, they won't know what their baseline sodium intake is before they start the cut. They don't know their baseline water intake. So it's like, you know, they, they go up to a water amount during the load that sounds good. And then they're not tracking salt and then they, you know, they end up losing the weight, but they don't know how much they need to recomp. And then like, you know, when you're recomping, the thing that people don't realize is like, if you take in fiber or you take in dietary fat, whatever rate would be ideal for you to, you know, rehydrate and reabsorb things at, like you're slowing it down. So like, you know, for me, the way that I do things, like I have a very specific process for it. It's like, I have 
you know, I'm sure you guys have seen like those trioral rehydration packets. Mm-hmm. I'll literally buy like one of those really fucking tiny Gatorades, like the ones that are like 12 ounces. I'll put a trioral in there and chug that. Cause it's like when your stomach's empty and dehydrated, if you just go for liquid immediately, you're going to fucking throw up. So I'm like, okay, I can get this in right away because, you know, anybody can drink a cup of, of liquid and feel fine. And then after that, I'll start eating just like, you know, sticky rice or white rice where it's like, a very easily digestible carb, but it's going to settle my stomach. And once I feel like my stomach settled, it's like, okay, now I can start drinking. Right. So it's like, I set that base in my stomach and now I can be more aggressive with, you know, drinking the Pedialyte and the water. And then like 45 minutes, an hour passes. And I'm like, Oh, I'm back up to my training weight or around there. And there's no, there's no fat slowing me down. Cause you, I'm, you guys have probably seen it. People eating fucking McDonald's. Yeah. That's trash. I would always go for bagels for sure. Sandwiches. Yeah. You know, all this, they just pick and that's that's the one thing i don't like where you know you 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 know you talk to people who are like you know what what should i do on meat day what should i eat and they're like oh the same things you always eat if you want to be comfortable it's like okay that's a great you know nice little message to make people people feel nice but it's like if you're cutting and performance is your goal then you can't just eat you know the egg sandwich or peanut butter sandwich you eat every day before training it's like you need to do what is going to be best for you to feel normal as quickly as possible you know what's funny about that is I didn't realize, because, I mean, I, I don't know anything about this fucking shit, okay? <laughs> but when I first started cutting, I would always just do what people said, eat normal shit. And before a workout, I'd usually have, like, a egg and cheese and, you know, some fucking protein shake and whatever. Oh, yeah, Joe got me an Italian <laughs> sub. Yeah, you know what I mean? But then what do I know? The, the most successful cut that I had was probably at the Bench Worlds, where I was eating a lot of, like... Uh, like we had leftover pasta that was just noodles and like whatever. And then I had uh, bagels. I had uh, like I had brought some cliff bars from America, ate some of those. There's like not that much fat in those. And I just lifted like really fucking good. And I was like, yeah. you know what? Next time I'm not going to eat, you know, these egg and cheese sandwiches. I'm not going to have peanut butter and fluff. I'm not going to eat any of that bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go for the fucking bagels and whatever and, and i was i lifted much better after that sodium too. salt bagels yeah. i ate a shit ton I mean, of salt bagels i mean like i said you know the the only solid food i really eat on meat day now is that that rice in the beginning yeah. just to get my stomach settled like after that point everything is just just like electrolytes and water i'm just curious because I, I i don't know do you have any type of protein um no usually no um i mean I guess in theory, it, it would probably help uh, to have like, you know, maybe whey at some point during the meat. Um, I don't know how much of a of a positive effect that's going to have just because meats are, you know, especially if it's a high level meat, it's like no more than three hours. Right. So it might be placebo mm-hmm. for me or just whatever. But I do like to I like the idea of having some amino acids going through mm-hmm. my bloodstream. Just some high. Yeah. Like I'm, ISO, I'm just thinking back on the best I ever performed was the 2019 Arnold and uh People were giving me shit because I don't cut weight, but I also like Alex helped me load carbs yeah, and uh, things like that. And so we were targeting like 800 grams of carbs for two days straight. And, uh, you know, I love pasta and I love rice. So Alex had gotten me a bunch of rice and grilled chicken. So we're weighed in and like people are starting to warm up and I'd maybe stretched out, but I'm sitting there eating grilled chicken and a ton of white rice. I mean, I felt yeah. great, but people were like, how are you eating right now? I'm like, dude, I'm a super heavyweight. I could eat between attempts. I'm not going to puke. So yeah. like, but I, I did think that like the chicken 
was, I mean, I love fucking chicken, but obviously I was eating the meal because of the rice, but that's why I asked you about the protein. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah, thing I think probably having like a, a whey shake or something like that, you know, maybe after squats probably would be a solid idea just because, you know, if you are cutting by the time you're lifting, you probably haven't eaten any, you know, solid food in a while. So mm -hmm. that's probably something I'll, I'll mess around with. Um, but I mean, the big thing is, you know, like I said, I'm not really, I'm not dropping carbs. I'm not dropping calories. So being fed is not my issue on meat day. Like there was plenty of food in me throughout the week. So my goal is just making sure that I'm not, you know, I'm not 183 by the time I get to bench or by the time I get to deadlifts, I'm staying 190 or above. Yeah. I mean, you posted up a pretty monster total and, and I assume your goal, you know, at this weight class is to win. Um, mm -hmm. Like, what do you think you need to do to, to take, uh, to take Russ down? I mean, I need to make lifts. That's the thing. I mean, I've had conversations with Joe about this a bunch of times. Like <laughs> I, I've had, you know, I think my, I think I calculated, I think my average meat performance is like seven, four out of nine attempts. Um, and at big meets, Russ usually goes nine for nine or eight for nine. Um, you know, there have been 2018 raw Nats. I was stronger than him on paper and had that whole sodium thing. And then 2019 and well, 2017 and 2019, he was stronger and he historically makes more lifts. So, you know, you would be smart to bet that he's going to win. So I feel stronger than I ever have on all three right now. Um, but I'm never going to be the type of person to say, oh, you know, watch out for me. I'm coming because I haven't done anything yet. Right. So I know that the big thing for me is in these meets, you know, prior to nationals or whenever the hell nationals happens where we do have the opportunity to compete. I just need to feel what it's like to make every lift. And then that'll lead to a, you know, a higher probability of making it, you know, when, when it counts, cause you can't, you know, you can't shit the bed in a meet that has no stakes and then expect to magically have the composure to pull it together and do it, you know, when there's pressure to win. So, I mean, that's, that's the biggest focus in my mind. Cause I can't, I can't do anything to increase the rate at which I'm getting stronger other than what's being programmed for me, but I can control being level-headed enough to make the right attempts. I did see that you got a, a new coach actually. Um, is this going to be meet day coaching also, or like what, like what's your, uh, I guess talk about that a little bit. Uh, I was yeah. just listening recently to maybe it was the King of Lifts podcast, but you're talking about how you had gotten a new coach and you've probably been working with them a little bit while, a little bit of a while now. Yeah. So I started working, um, with a coach, his name's Steve DeNovi. Um, and he'll be, I mean, yeah, he'll probably be a meet day coach. Like I know he said, he's coming to the Texas meet that I'm doing in 11 weeks. And he's going to handle me there. And then he'll obviously be at nationals every year uh, going forward. So he would be a meet day handler. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing new. There's nothing to add to the, that original question. But I started working with Steve um, eight weeks ago. Um, I've spoken to him a bunch over the past you know, year or so. And, and we have very similar training philosophies and and. Uh, I guess the two things that really kind of led me to, to picking him um, were one that his wife makes bank. So he's like, I take on my small roster of 20 lifters and I just focus on giving them all the attention in the world. So <laughs> nice. that's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, this is, this is my thing that I do and I love doing it. Um, 
and then two, like I said, you know, just we we agree a lot on on you know training principles, and I feel like he's not just like a very smart guy, but he's like I'm sure you guys have seen where there are coaches who have been prominent in the sport, but they're just kind of like one foot in, one foot out. As like you know, as time goes on, they have other priorities in life or other things that they're interested in. They start doing jujitsu or whatever others. You know, oh, everybody has to try jujitsu, bro. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like. Well, Sean, you're gonna do the bodybuilding bullshit. It's like everybody has to quit powerlifting, do bodybuilding, or jujitsu, or some other. It's not bullshit. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Bodybuilding is not. Well, why do you think you know? I like I, I I think I follow you closely enough to know you coach yourself for the eight twenty five total. Is that true? Yep. Like what well, makes you yes. think? What makes you think to make a change? So the things that made me make the change they're they're twofold. Um, one is that um, you know I said that that Steve and I have very similar training philosophies, and and because of that, you know, we met before we started working together, and um, essentially like hashed out my entire training history. And, and a lot of what I'm doing is similar. Um, but one of the main things that I know that I personally have an issue with, and, and we've spoke, Joe, you and I have spoken about this and seeing this among, you know, a lot of the raw lifters is people don't appreciate, you know, a reasonable pace of progression within a training block and they just go ham all the time. And I'm not saying that I'm that person, but there are definitely times where, I feel good. And when you're the person who coaches yourself, you know, it's a lot easier to just say, fuck it. Um, So I wanted to have somebody control the rate of progression and I could send them a, you know, a squat single and it flies and they'll be like, yeah, that was great. Too bad. You're not going up. So one, the accountability of it. Um, But two, I found that I was just putting writing my training on the back burner um, just because of like my roster size and the other stuff that I was doing where like, you know, obviously going into the meet, you know, everything went well, that, you know, that training block was really successful. Uh, but after the meet, I just found that like, I'd be working until, you know, the, the late hours of the night and I would leave my program for last. And like, that's a good thing from a, a coaching perspective that I'm putting everyone before me. But if I have the expectation that I'm going to, you know, contend and potentially win, like my training can't be put on the back burner, right? Mm-hmm. There needs to be somebody prioritizing it. And it got to the point where I was just like, I feel like it's too much of a chore to write my own training right now. Yeah, I was the same way. I, I said this on the podcast before. I coached myself for seven years. I got myself to a bunch of IPF Worlds, a silver medal, and I coached myself through World Games, you know, which is the biggest meet I've, I, I did. And I yeah. felt my performance in 2017 was not, I wasn't progressing anymore doing my own programming. I never actually wrote my programs on a paper or on, on a sheet or Excel yeah. or anything. I, I wrote them in my mind, even though I was writing programs for other lifters at that point. And I decided to get a coach. So someone would just be accountable for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I could see that, but you know, I think one of the questions we all had is like, you're, you seem like you, you know, I know you, I know you're a super intelligent guy. We know you went to MIT. We met and you know, you know, I know you're from long Island. We both went to college in Boston um, are you coaching full time now? Is that, you know, pretty much your career? And yeah, so, so right now I'm coaching full time. Um, basically to give everyone a, a quick rundown without, you know, 
going too much down that rabbit hole. Um, I was not sure what the fuck I was going to do with my life all four years of undergrad. Eventually worked at the NIH doing research, thinking I was going to go to med school. Um, spent a year working there, was getting ready for the MCAT, and then was like, you know what, I can't, you know, I'm kidding myself thinking that I actually want to do this. Um, and the one thing I've always wanted to do with my life was become an actor. Fun fact. I was um, going to ask you about this, so go. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I wanted to, I, my whole life I've wanted to be an actor, um, any kind of acting, you know, stage, theater, voice acting, whatever it is. Like, I would love to do any of it. Um, so I moved back home. You know, coaching is my, was my source of income, and I was going to attend Strasburg, which is an acting school in New York. Um, I did the application, got my letters of rec from people I needed, and then COVID happened, and they're like, we're not doing in-person classes for the rest of 2020. We have online, but it's the same tuition price. So I was like, that's fucking retarded. I can't act online. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that's ridiculous. So I almost think it was kind of a, a, a you know, a blessing in disguise because, you know, I've always been the person who tries to have my hands in so many different things and being forced by COVID to like say, okay, clearly coaching and everything relating to your brand is like the thing that you need to put all your energy into, as opposed to just, you know, you know, dividing it amongst several things. You know, I think that that was a positive um, because if I hadn't, I think I would have just been, you know, half-assing multiple things instead of whole-assing one. So, so is acting just on hold until we can get to Strasburg? Yeah. yeah, I mean, pretty much. I, you know, I will say that I've definitely been hyper-focused on coaching stuff and not really felt a sense of urgency with acting, um, just because of this this whole time frame. So, you know, I don't know what will, you know, what will come of that. Maybe, you know. Maybe a year down the road, I'll be like, you know what? I don't even want to act anymore. Yeah, but, I mean, I'll yeah. be the first guy. I'm the first guy to make fun of somebody for being ambitious. Like, yeah. like you know, kids who tell you they're going to be a rapper or a professional <laughs> athlete. But, you know, I've seen your impressions and stuff like that that you posted. And, you know, they're really good. So, hope it works out. I mean, no, it probably doesn't work that. out for 99.99% of people. But I think you do have a valid you know, reason and if it's your passion and some talent. So that's cool. Um, you know, we're going to jump around a little bit. I, I, I have this written down, you know, obviously like in the U S you're gunning for Russ, you know, you're an open lifter now, no more juniors. Right. Um, what did you think of his mock meet total? I mean, I thought it was very impressive. Um, you know, I've always, Unlike what goes on in the 74s, I'll always have a lot of respect mm -hmm. for my competitors. Um, you know, he's clearly shown that he can, you know, make the lifts when it counts. And, and Was that you a know. jab at Pug? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to state real quick, we're, we're, we're Russ fans. We, we talked about his mock meet. Um, and we, I like think it was guy. cool that he just did whatever the fuck he wanted to do. And I thought it was badass. Yeah. So. I think he's, I think no, he's I doing mean, really good stuff for the sport. I, I respect yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, very, very impressive numbers. Um, and like I said, he always puts it together when it matters. Uh, but it is a mock meet, you know, it's, and I, and he even knows that, like he knows the, the difference. Right. And, um, I know that he walked in at like his normal, you know, walk around body weight, which obviously plays a role in, in performance. Um, you know, obviously he, and I feel the same way. Like I would never, you know, 
convince myself that cutting weight affected my performance just because it's going to have a negative feedback, you know, loop and, and just kind of, you know, it's going to have a negative effect on performance if you think every time you cut, you're going to do worse, but it's going to have some impact, even if it's negligible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I expect Russ to always have, you know, a fantastic meet. And the next time he competes, he's going to total more than his, you know, 833 that he totaled in, um, at nationals, uh, or sorry, at worlds last year. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that, you know, for example, you know, he knows like the, the third deadlift bar was slipping out of his hands. That wouldn't have counted. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really have too much more to say other than that. I think that I know, and he knows that, you know, it's a lot different when you're on the platform and you have to go head to head and you have to cut weight and it's, you know, not in your home gym, you know, there's all different variables that you have to take into account. And so, and I think so it didn't, who- it didn't strike any fear into you, the total. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I have kind of a follow up question to that is, uh, have you ever considered going 93 because I feel like that class is just generally weaker than the 83 and 105 classes. Um, you know, does part of you feel like, okay, if I just lifted at 93, maybe not even necessarily have to try really hard to fill out the class, you might be more likely to hit all of your gym numbers, which would out total, you know, the current national champion at 93. So, so I've thought about going 93. Um, I don't think that it's at all necessary based on my current weight. Like I, like I said, cutting weight is, is pretty easy for me. Um, so it's not a, it wouldn't be a necessity based move. Um, I definitely have a goal of winning the 83s. So I don't foresee myself moving up before that happens, whether it's next year, whether it's five years from now. Um, but honestly, the main thing for me that is keeping me from wanting to move up besides that is just body composition. Like I'm, I'm not lean enough. I'm, I'm not, I'm not lean enough. I don't think to justify making that move up. I do, I do tend to agree with you um, that, you know, that class, like the, the gap between, you know, 83 and 93 is not, you know, a proportional increase in, in competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think John Keiko's total, that's, you know, the American record is like 860 something. I saw, uh, I saw last year he did like an 845 and maybe missed a lift or two. So you're right. It's probably about eight, 850, 860. Yeah. Which, you know, which assuming that, you know, Russ or I have, you know, a fantastic meet day. We're, you know, not too far off of that as 83s. So. Well, put it in perspective, like Russ weighs in at 83, totaled 833. He weighed in at 86 for the mock meet and he told 865. So it's like, are you going to 10 X your body weight if you're between 80 and 90 keys? You know, probably that's like yeah. the, the goal, but yeah, Johnson Keiko's awesome, and you know the benches are crazy, but you guys are squatting and pulling what he squats and pulls. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, go ahead. No, I was. I mean, all I was going to say was that it's definitely something that I want to do. Um, like I, one of my goals, you know, long term, should everything go according to plan, which it rarely does, but long term goal would be to win the ninety threes and win the eighty threes. Um, but like I said, I just don't. I don't foresee myself leaving the eighty threes anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Being shredded is pretty fun. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> nice. But, um, I, I did hear you're talking about, um, how you talk with Johnny Candido a lot and 
you were saying that maybe people go up in weight class like too much or too often, or, you know, they sacrifice maybe their health or anything like that. Um, but have you ever, have you ever put on like a, a serious amount of weight in your lifting career and actually felt the difference in power? Like there's, like there's the stereotype of powerlifters just being like guys like Peachy and Joe and I guess me now who just eat like shit. You can't co- you can't around. put me and Joe in the same category as you. You're way fucking leaner than us. Well, I put on sixty pounds in like two years, so like. <laughs> but like, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that stereotypical powerlifting diet and put on like? 10, 15 pounds and been strength training and seen what the difference is because having experienced it, I mean, it's, you will get really strong. It's sick. It's sick. Come to the dark oh, side. I, I definitely, I definitely believe you. Um, like I've, I've seen it happen to a ton of people, especially, you know, like I guess the names that come to mind are like, you know, Connor Borker, who's a 93 actually used to be an 83. I coached him when he was an 83 and he was like a little, you know, he, looked, he was big back then, but then you look at him compared to what he looks like now, and he looks like a child, and the strength gains have been, you know, nuts. But in my experience, no, I haven't really. Um, like, I've competed at, you know, 181 or 83 mm-hmm. pretty much the entire time I've competed. Um, I've definitely put on, you know, probably 10 pounds of body weight since I started, but I did start as a 17-year-old. So there was definitely just kind of like a natural, you know, development there and also, you know, you get much stronger, much quicker at a younger age when you're first starting out. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't made any sort of, you know, crazy bulks or anything. I've pretty much been sitting relatively the same body weight for the past few years now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you're ripe for some serious gains, but it does seem like, you know, mentally you want to stick around at that weight class. You've got the goal to be the champion there and you've got your mindset on that and being lean is pretty nice too, but Maybe it's something you think about because I could just see you becoming crazy monster in the ninety threes. No, I I like I said I definitely want to do it, but just not yet. Yeah, yeah. Not, yet. not yet. Yeah, coaching college kids and shit. If I see a kid that comes in, it's like two hundred pounds and they're six foot or six foot two. I'm like, you're gonna be a super heavyweight. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was a, I was a one eighty one on the northeastern powerlifting team, and Joe just like. It's just like eat pussy, <laughs> eat eat pussy or eat no, pussy, both. <laughs> the fuck, dude. So Joe, so Joe, it's actually funny you say that because I have a lifter who is coming to Northeastern next year, um, and he is two oh five, and he's like six three, six four, and we always mess around with him. We're like, we can't let Joe Cap get to you. You're not a super. You're not yeah, gonna be a super. he he's got nothing to worry about. Um, it's been a little bit of a transition where I coached the entire team for two years. Um, this year, I'm just coaching the females because the men kind of want to go raw, and mm-hmm. hired a coach off Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in my opinion, and I've said this to them. You know, as the kids get younger to in comparison to me and like Alex and Luis and, you know, we were just like crazy masochists. We want to do crazy shit. Uh, Collegiate Nationals was only equipped back then. So we were just like conditioned to lift equipped. And uh, the kids now are just they're They're smarter. Number one, you know, they're very intelligent kids, but they are not meatheads. They are not, you know, headbangers. They're not going to come and hurt themselves on purpose. Shit like that. And. You know, they're, they they want to go raw. You know, they're more of the, the new generation. You know, 
um, black frame glasses, want to yeah. write their own programs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, back in our day, I was, yeah. I was one of those idiots that like banged their head on the bar like, before they <laughs> yeah. squatted. <laughs> yeah, like they don't even <laughs> sniff ammonia and all the shit we use and pound beers after practice and all the shit we used to do. So he's not gonna he's not gonna have much of an encounter with me. You know, I theorize that they'll be back um, to be coached by me at some point. Um, because we were making really, I, you know, we ran it where we were doing half a year raw and half a year training for equipped collegiates. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I tracked their progress on, on, on multiple ways percent, you know, just percentage gain year over year when I had kids that were on the team for three years straight and raw and equipped, we made crazy, crazy gains, but my personality did not go well with the type of personalities we had. These kids who are, you know, they're smarter than me. They're, you softer know, than softer you. than me they don't Soft. like yeah, they don't exactly. like to be they basically opinion. didn't like being called pussies all the time yeah. um yeah so yeah, yeah i'm only coaching the females now so your boy should be steer clear he should be fine but he should gain <laughs> some weight regardless yeah i mean we took stephen <laughs> king who was like how tall is he six four yeah he weighed in 220 and then we just turned he, him into like a 300 in two years he gained 100 pounds and he won two collegiate nationals Jesus so. Christ. And now he's he's back down to his normal weight. And he's uh, a normal person. Doesn't lift, but he has a lot of extra skin, so that's our fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Stevie King. Yeah, that was borderline hazing. We, yeah, we <laughs> fucked his life up. We'd go to Old Country Buffet and just make him eat. Yeah. But that's uh, why he used to hang out hang out with me so much because I never used to eat back then because I was in eighty three. So if he hung out with me, we wouldn't have to like yeah, eat all the time. We fucked Peach up so too. Fucked up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Peach almost missed weight once because I was his handler. Right, we were oh going to Scranton God. for a bench meet, and I was training for 2015 IPF Worlds. So, and yep. so every three hours, I was like, "Peach, there's a Texas Roadhouse. We need to stop and get a steak." So on the way down, I think we went to Texas Roadhouse twice, nice. and you know, both times he's like, "Okay, I guess I'll eat something," but he almost missed weight because I was it's just constant eating. Um, anyway, get back on track. Um, talk, spe talking. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of the 83s, and I was actually really impressed with. Um, you with your demeanor at this time is uh, your last junior worlds that you did and it seemed like you had won <laughs> yep. to everybody watching and you actually you know got your winning deadlift overturned and yep. uh, you actually didn't lose your shit and John Deuce Gruden ended up winning that and your sportsmanship was great especially because it was another US lifter but like Honestly, what are your true feelings about that situation? Like, you know, I know from experience when you travel around the world and uh, and, a, and a meet goes badly, it sticks with you for a while, right? Mm -hmm. I just posted about, you know, how I still think about about missing the winning deadlift at World Games or something like that. Yeah. And that's happened to me a million times. Um, what are your true thoughts on that? Like, John Gruden's, you know... He's in the sport. He's out of the sport. He's in the sport. He's out of the sport. Like we don't yeah. really need to protect the guy. I'm sure he's a great guy. He seems like he does cool stuff. But you know, give give us your spiel on that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely a. Uh, I wouldn't use the word heartbreaking. It was more of like a, like, are you fucking serious kind of moment? Because I remember it. You know, I won. I you know went back into the warm-up room I'm packing up all my stuff you know I see my mom and Daniela and then I remember hearing I think it was Gino over the the microphone he was like he was like attention you know there's been a change to the you know results of the last flight um you know Sean Ariega's third deadlift was overturned and and John Gruden wins the gold medal and it was like one of those moments where you know I've kind of had 
a lot of these like what the fuck moments before where I was just like, I just started laughing. I was like, of course this would happen. You know what I mean? Where it's mm-hmm. like, I've just had, you know, and, and I think a lot of it goes back to having played baseball where like, there's just so many, there are so many variables out of your control that you're going to encounter enough scenarios like this, where like, if you get like discouraged enough for it to have a lasting impact on how you feel like you're just not going to play. So I think it was one of those moments where I was obviously, you know, pissed. Um, but there was nothing I could, you know, I could do about it. I think it was bullshit because the way that I heard that it was overturned was that the jury table had watched back the live stream replay, which the camera angle was from the same side that I got the red on. So it's like one of those scenarios where it's like, they didn't watch it from their vantage point. It was, they saw it from the right side, which was the shoulder that I got a red on for being forward. And it's like, yeah, if you see it from that angle, then you're going to give it a red. Um, but I don't know. I think I think another thing that contributed to maybe not being as mad about it was that I just didn't have a good performance. Like I had missed my third squat and my third bench. So it was like one of those moments where like even if I had won, I would have been like, I definitely should have done better or it shouldn't have been that close. I think that's a tough criticism on yourself. Like if you get that third deadlift, you're seven for nine, right? Like it's, it's not much more you can ask for. You know, we can't yeah. go nine for no, nine for every sure. meet. But yeah, I mean that that kind of sucks, and I was just really um, pleasantly surprised that you didn't say more about it at the time. But I, I think probably what contributed is that it's like it wasn't a foreign lifter; it was a, a teammate. Yeah, maybe. I honestly, I mean, there was probably a ton of like, you know, subconscious emotion that was at play during that time. Um, but I mean, I think the 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 main thing, like I said, you know, was that. Um, like I felt like I had, I had dealt with scenarios like that before. And I've, and I've always been pretty hard on myself where like, you know, I made jokes about it afterward. I'm like, eh, it's junior world. Who cares? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, <laughs> where it's like, you know, it would have, obviously I put all this time and effort in flew there, competed. Like I wanted to win. Um, but even when I was 18 first competing in the USAPL, like I'm not going to, you know, rest my laurels on winning the fucking team threes. Like I'm always going to compare myself to who's in the open. Um, and that's, I guess, kind of how I felt about it because it's like, all right, you know, in a few months I have to compete at nationals. So I just think it's bullshit know. that the jury can even do that. Like what the fuck? Like I know that the jury is there so that like, you know, if it's a two to one lift one way or the other, the coach can have another person to go to, to be like, Hey, that lift looked good to me or, Oh, that was bullshit. Why did they pass that? And their role is to review what happened. Why would they, after nobody contests whether it was a good lift, just be like, Oh no, take that off the board. Like in my mind, the jury should be there to either protect the lifter from extremely strict judging or protect another lifter from un un egregious, egregious, you know, judging that is maybe in favor of one lifter and not in the other. So I, I thought it was unfortunate. And I guess my last question is, do you think that anything about your personality or your social media presence like played a part in, you know, having that happen to you at IPF world? Because I've seen so many lifts get passed or not passed that were questionable and nothing ever happens. And that looked like a clean lift and it's just like, it's Sean. So of course, I, right? I doubt it. Um, like I could see that maybe being a thing one in the US 
and two at this point now that I've been in the sport long enough. But I think that, you know, one, I was relatively new at the time. And then two, like the jury was from like random Eastern European countries. Like I yeah. doubt they even knew who the fuck I was. So I'm, yeah. I'm skeptical that that played a role in it. Yeah. And I just even thought of this while you were saying that, like, it's just giving the gold from what to one U S lifter to another where, you know, my experience at worlds is the U S has to work harder for cleaner lifts. Yeah. Um, we run into a lot of bullshit, especially at equipped worlds when there's so many more variables. It's just Ukraine and Russia is just whooping our ass every year. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. I just thought it was an interesting topic to talk about. And, you know, obviously you're still here and really successful in powerlifting. And John Gruden's like strength coach for the Raiders. So that's sick. You yeah. know, um, let's shift gears a little bit yeah. here. <laughs> Get so, it going. In Colorado, man, <laughs> we, you, uh, you put on a bench shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you ever going to do that again? Uh, I won't, I won't write it off, but it felt pretty horrible. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> That's the easiest piece of gear too, well, man. I'll say, I will say that actually doing the benching did not feel that difficult. Um, you know, granted the shirt was definitely looser than something that I would probably be encouraged to compete in. Um, but the main thing that I felt, you know, while using it is just like, how much the shirt wants to flatten you out. I was like, I got to work weight. Like I remember the next morning I woke up and my entire back was sore. And I was like, I never ever get sore in my back from benching. Um, so it was, I mean, it was uncomfortable. I definitely, I've always like jokingly clowned on equipped lifting. Um, but I mean, I've always recognized that there's, you know, whatever layer of skills associated with lifting raw, like you add this other variable of, you know, knowing the, the equipment right on top of that. So it's a, it's definitely a layered thing. Um, but I won't, I won't write it off, but I mean, I just have too much that I want to do, um, you know, raw. And I think that if I were to, you know, I wouldn't even think about spending any period of time doing something that isn't conducive to those goals. Yeah. I, I understand that. I think we we've talked about this before. Like <clears throat> you never want to be that person who's just mediocre at two things. Like yeah. I think there's only a handful of people who can do both styles of lifting and be successful. And it's like, Dave Boni Ricks. yeah, it's like Dave Ricks, Bonica, Charles, Bonica, Charles, you know, um, Sergey Fedyasenko, Tony Cliff, yep. Tony Cliff, Chen Wei Ling, you know, yep. and Chen Wei Ling is like an Olympic gold medalist too. But there's, there's like five people on the planet. Blaine. And even even Blaine was like, I'm not gonna fuck with this raw stuff anymore. I want to do equipped. Like, I think that if his hip wasn't so fucked up, he would be yeah. extremely competitive, though. Yeah, that's true. But still, I mean, I, I think that it's still only a handful of people. And what about knee wraps? What about knee wraps? Would you fuck around with knee wraps a little bit? <laughs> I think it's, I think it'd be dumber to fuck around with knee wraps than to just go single ply. I yeah. agree. Like, yes, yes yeah. dude. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, now we're starting to agree on some shit, man. Yeah, it's it, don't don't be wrap. half in. Yeah, I think raw with wraps is just stupid. Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, we want to do some who's hotters because I think I want to have a follow up question to the last one. <laughs> sure. I mean, we got some we got some standard ones, but I mean, what about like the raw like the raw guy? I don't know. I mean, usually we do who's hotter, who's pissing hotter, like. You know, people that have failed tests or like, you know, publicly admit or have admitted to using. So we're not like 
throwing accusations. We don't accuse natties. Yeah, we're not throwing accusations <laughs> at people that haven't, you know, failed a test or said something about it. But usually it's like equipped guys. So like, I mean, <laughs> we can do. Let's just start with the easy one. Some classic okay. ones. Yeah, the the one we ask everybody, which is who's hotter, Eric Lillibridge or Dave Hoff. Oh, that's tough. I feel like isn't Dave still like competing hardcore and multiply in their, right now? Yeah, in their prime. In their prime. in their prime. Yeah, not oh, like at their, this oh, moment okay, in time. In yeah. Probably. Ah, that's tough, man. I've seen. I, there's this one picture of Lillibridge where he just looks like a swollen abscess. Like if you just like poke <laughs> him, in the skin, yes. like pus would explode out of him. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might have to go with Lillibridge in his prime. He usually looks like that. Anytime you've seen him lifting, he, his head just looks like it's going to explode. He's got the classic Long Island, like, juice head red skin. Bro, he's from, like, oh, Milwaukee. Dude. Okay, don't put us. No, I'm just saying Long Bro, Island has been, a stereotype to that. of, like, juicers in the gym. Like, you know, yeah, no, Be- know. Bev Francis Powerhouse Gym. You know, you all love, the bodybuilders go there. You love power. I love Bev's. Yeah. Bev's is sick. It's well, it's a shame that they're bro, closed. You've been, you've been to Profit in Deer Park with all the fucking roid head dads. Yeah. Well, yeah, my cousin trains there, and you <laughs> <I, laughs> <laughs> <laughs> think this is funny? You know, he was like Mr. Long Island, 2002. The guy still looks great, but I don't I don't think he's as natural yeah. as the other Capolinos. Natty you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm from New Jersey, so like I know the New Jersey gyms, the Long Island gyms. Just basically there's a there's a certain like hue. You know, if you like go on the Instagram filter and change the red like tint all the way, yes. like that's how their skin looks. All right. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good pick. Well, a good pick. well stay on Long Island real quick for me. You know, Larry Wheels versus versus Bill Kazmaier. <laughs> Bill in his prime and Larry whenever. Yeah. And who would win in today's like, power? I feel like standards. you have to you have to give it to Larry. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to give I, I it to like, Larry. I feel like yeah. Larry just has more access to more drugs. Yeah. Cause yeah. Back in the day they were just taking like tests and D balls, you know? Yeah. And now Larry's got everything. He's well, in Dubai, like talking to doctors about, you know, what to do for this. You know, how what, do I keep my dick what, hard? What pills to take for my dick? You know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, who's yeah. who? Who would win in their prime in a straight powerlifting meet? Raw, Larry raw. or Bill? Larry or Bill in a raw powerlifting meet? Oh shit! I mean, uh, I don't know if you know, but Bill Bill Kazmaier won a world championship in powerlifting. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. What weight class did Bill compete in? Two seventy five, probably. Two seventy five. Yeah. Tell him about the 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 bathing suit squat that he did. No, that's that's oh, that's, that's um, somebody else. That's somebody else. That's well, right. Well, we got it. So then, if that's the case, if so, Bill, if Bill's two seventy five, and that's the that's the most we've seen him at in a powerlifting meet. I feel like we have to. It'd be it'd only be fair to say that Larry has to come down rather than <laughs> than Bill going up. So. Larry at 275, I think, loses to Bill. Damn. Yeah. All right. Bill's a, Bill, Bill is a fucking legend, man. Yeah. Has, has John Hack ever, like, popped or been publicly acknowledged or anything? No. Like we, no. John's, John's an American hero, man. All right, Can't all bring right. him into this. <laughs> all 
right. well, <laughs> he just he just switched over on his own accord. Okay. Yep. What about Jamal Browner? Jamal Browner. Oh, Jamal Browner. Yeah, he pops. He pops. Jamal, Jamal Browner's doing whatever he wants. Who do you yeah. want to who do you want to compare him to? Well, I I guess if John hasn't, you know, officially. What are you talking? We we got No, he's cool. He's cool. We got to drop John. Yeah, we're not No, we yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, this is one I want to do. Who's who's deadlifting in the same range as as Jamal Browner? Yuri like Belkin. Yuri Belkin, yeah. Just Yuri. Yeah, Yuri or Jamal, what do you think? What happened to, uh, well, before I answer that, what happened to uh, Kaylor Woolham? Is he still, I feel like I haven't seen anything from him. Uh, he, I, I noticed that, I think he had an injury, and I saw like one post from him this whole like kind of last six months, and I think he pulled like 800 or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, because he would have been in that conversation for deads, but I haven't seen any posts from him. Yeah. He seems like a good shit. I, did you did you think it was weird that like all the natties showed up to Fort Collins, but like Ben Pollock, Callie Woolham, all these people backed out <laughs> of that oh, shit? Yeah. If none of, all of them no showed, right? It was supposed yeah. to be Kaler, uh, Ben. I think at one point like Steffi was invited and yeah. didn't show up. What's up with uh, that? Steffi's never pop. What are you guys talking about? Yeah, Steffi's natty. Steffi's dude. natty. What? <laughs> what are you saying? I don't know, man. I think it says something. Whether they didn't like, they didn't want to be around us, or I don't know, they couldn't bring their shit with them. I don't know. The Ben Pollock shit was like, weak. The Ben Pollock like shit was real was weak. All in on it. Like he was active in the in the group, and then I heard some personal thing came i have no idea what the hell happened to him but yeah i feel like he actually had an intention to show up yeah yeah like the trap bar it was disappointing that we they like planned an event around him and then he wasn't able to come yeah, but luckily true. we had ian like ian and Derek pull some crazy shit but anyway let's do it let's do it yuri versus jamal browner In a hall pass meet. hall pass john hack <laughs> <laughs> well if it's raw with sleeves. No, I... no, no. Who's hotter? Oh, who's pissing hotter? <laughs> yeah, we don't care about powerlifting. Oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> I mean, it's it's I think it's pretty obvious that Yuri's not on much shit. Like I feel like you see, you look at him compared to the look. Other look, lifters look. in the sniff test. The sniff test. Have you smelled him? <laughs> I can I've, imagine what he smells like. I've been near him. I've been near him. I've shook his hand, and he was a, allegedly natty back then. Maybe he was. His deadlift went up like 300 pounds, so probably. <laughs> I don't know, man. I Because it's like, it's one of those things with, with Jamal where, like, you know, he claimed at the time that it was a, a pre-workout thing that had Terrinabal. And, like, you know... Okay. Any any reasonable person would say that that's not true, but then, <laughs> but then if it were true, you don't know when he started turning up the gas on whatever he was on. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say, but then I don't know what those Russians have over there, man. Maybe it's like the they got some secret stuff that you know maybe doesn't make them show as many. They don't yeah, have the red. I think they have it down, dude. They don't science. have the red hue. Yeah. Looks reasonably healthy. Uh I'm gonna say Jamal. Alright, good stuff. We're gonna do we're gonna do a yeah. few more because we have some good ones here. 
This is one of my favorite ones. Kelly Branton. (laughs) 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 Verse. I'm just going to throw anybody out there. Zahir Kudarayev. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, Zahir's pissing hotter, but I honestly wonder what uh, what Kelly Branton's up to nowadays. He had to he had to just disappear. Yeah, I had to come up with something for Kelly, but there's no other like natty supers who pop to compare. You know, dude, it's so funny when like Canadians are like, you know, the stereotype is that they're like super polite and friendly. But whenever you see a Canadian lifter pop, the whole country just fucking kills them over it. Torch and pitchforks for sure. They just go after these motherfuckers. Yeah, Greg Doucette and Kelly Branton are like dead. Yeah, fuck Kelly Branton. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Branton is an asshole. I got to be honest. He like I, I always get a kick out of lifters who lifted equipped. We're bad at it. Then do raw, and then they pop. But they've also talked shit about equipped. It's like, bro, you should have just stayed equipped, man. Instead of taking drugs, like that's how you get. If you want to get stronger, easy, just put on a fucking squat suit, right? Yeah, look at me. <laughs> like remember, I want to remember you saying that. It's always the ones who switch to raw. Yeah, yeah. I like you know. I wanted one of my goals was to squat a thousand pounds. So realistically, you know, there's only one Ray Williams on the planet. There's only one Jesu Weppa. And, you know, honestly, well, like those squats well, had to be borderline to even get through. But I wanted to do a fucking pretty squat with a thousand pounds. So what are your options? Get on drugs or wear wear single ply. And it was a pretty easy decision. Did you see? Um, do you know uh, Jesus Olivares? Oh, I, I got dude. I got secret side videos of that shit today. He's awesome. Dude, he crushed that squat. Yeah, it, he might have another hundred pounds in him right now. So. I know you don't listen to the pod, but hopefully after this you will because, you know, we do get pretty crazy and we alternate between having guests and not having guests. So a lot of times yeah. it's just the three of us talking about current events like that that weekend that like rusted is total like three yep. weeks ago. There were so many people who competed. So we just basically ran down like, you know, impressive performances, you know, shit we liked, shit we didn't like. You know, so when Jesus competed a few months ago, we talked about him and we talked about who would win the supers, like Ray, Jesus, Derek, um, Country Muscle OG. Country Muscle OG. (laughs) Savage. So we talked about all this shit. And I just think that kid's amazing. And I saw the other day, like his goal, because I follow him, because obviously I want to see his training and stuff. Um, His goal is to break the all-time world record total, untested, tested, whatever. Raps, yeah, no but, raps. He wants to break that natural yeah. without raps. That's yeah. sick. He he replied to the Petras. Peter time, Petras, yeah. yeah <laughs> that all time like raw with raps record and said, I want to beat this. You know. Yeah. Nah, dude, I, he's a tank. I think that's sick, dude. I, I I really like his style. I think he's quiet and humble and just crushes shit. I mean, I you know, I'll be honest with anybody about this stuff. Like a lot of people, you know, I squatted a thousand. I, and I remember squatting a thousand at the Arnold last uh in 2019 and then like ray was honestly like i think ls was like yo joe cap squat a thousand isn't that sick because ls is my boy and ray was like yo joe i heard you squat a thousand i was like dude you just squat a 1080 raw you know <laughs> like and like a lot of people have always like i've seen comments on my videos like oh well ray williams does that raw it's like dude <clears throat> understandably there's one ray williams and i'm under no impression that i'm the best powerlifts in the world right so yeah. I appreciate these guys so much. Um, I never think what they do takes away from like what I can do or what Blaine can do. Um, it's so impressive, but 
I know deep down that like I am genetically gifted, but there's also certain levels of genetically gifted, right? And yeah. I'm not in that top, top echelon of freakazoid like Jesus or Ray. So, you know, I just like I'm in awe of that stuff. And, it, you know, every generation there's a Ray Williams or a Mark Henry. And, you know, hopefully Jesus is the next guy, you know? Yeah. But you think you think it's going to take down Ray in the next year or so? Well, or what do you think? I'm, I, I honestly think he has a really good shot. I mean, there's a couple of things going for him. I mean, one, his rate of progress right now is crazy. Like it's very consistent. He's young. Uh, he's young. Two, three, he's significantly lighter. I think he weighed in today like 350 something compared to Ray's four, whatever. Um, and also, I think Ray, you know, I have, I'll just make a disclaimer. You know, Ray is obviously, you know, has the highest raw total, you know, tested, uh, you know, regardless of weight class, he's arguably one of the most impressive lifters of all time. I love Ray. Um, but, you know, he's getting older. He has not, PR'd his total in a little while. And it's been clear from the last couple of meets, like something's up, you know, maybe he needs to lose weight, whatever it is. Um, so I just kind of see that, you know, that downward trend on his end and then the upward trend on Jesus, like, you know, maybe not next year, but the year after, I think he has a good shot of taking him. Yeah. And he's good at all three, dude. Like he's, he can squat nine, super smooth. He outbenches Ray. And then his deadlift is also literally right there with Ray. Like I, I I'll pull up the the lifting cast right now because I was. What is it like nine six? Oh yeah, or something I, like that. I saw he he benched two forty five point five, but I didn't see a deadlift yet. Well, his opening deadlift was three fifty seven and a half, so you have to assume he finished somewhere in the upper eights. Yeah, that's awesome. Here, let's see. I'm pulling it up right now. So he ended up pulling. Well, there you go. He pulled 400. So he beat Ray's. Holy, holy shit, dude. Wow. wow, dude. Well, what was the squat? He squatted uh, 902. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So 410, 245, 5, and 400. So he finished 1,055. Holy shit. That's awesome, dude. That's good for him. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we talked about this. I think there's a good chance that, you know, not only Ray loses, but he might even place lower than second. I mean, and that's no slight to him. Like, I think it's great, but like I'm a huge after meeting Derek Dowry in person, like I'm gonna root yeah. for Derek Dowry. I don't give a fuck. Like Jesus is probably the favorite out of the newer group, but I love Derek. Yeah. You know, anybody who can just stand there and have me talk shit to them and not talk shit back because he's just that nice of a guy. Like I love that kid. <laughs> so, you know, but I think it'll be exciting. I'm excited. Um, you know, unlike raw, you know, raw lifters might not watch equip lifter lifting, but we watch raw lifting and it's, it's, it's something, you know, we're going to tune into. Um, all right, we got to get back to the stupid bullshit, but congrats, Jesus on your total. Um, I got two more who's hotters one half Thor Bjornsson versus Rich Piana versus Rich Piana. Holy oh, fuck. I mean, dude. those are the two most gas motherfuckers who aren't powerlifters yeah. I mean, i've ever seen dude the strong like i've spoken to to <laughs> a couple like strong you know strong men um and the shit that they take is absurd like it's just just a fucking grocery list of drugs um yeah i mean unless you're including uh oil in the mix i'm gonna have to uh i'm gonna have to go with thor thor pissing i see oil oil gets the yeah. 
Oil gets the free pass. Yeah, because you could you could oil up and pass. You know, could I oil up my pecs to get a little less rom? Like that's fine, <laughs> right? I don't know. Imagine. <laughs> I don't know. You check, you check the testing data. You just, you check the testing database, and it, your name next uh, next to your name says synthol or something. Synthol. Yeah, yeah I think oils. it's legal. Like you can have breast implants, right? Extreme thing. I've coached females with breast implants. Yeah, it's no it's problem. Legal. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at Thor and in the last like six months or whatever since he's kind of hanging it up for strongman and focusing on whatever you know boxing or whatever whatever he's doing like he he's already like morphed into a different person that that obviously like he's gotten (laughs) off a lot of the shit yeah and i feel like with strongman like those guys are just like it's like live fast die hard they're like i'm gonna give it a four-year push of just gassing my shit to get you know a title and then it's like they just retire they're like okay i need to try to not die before 50. Yeah. You know what's funny is I think that Eddie Hall kind of started that trajectory because a lot of the guys would go for like pretty long period of time. Like Pujanowski was going crazy for like a the pretty Drunis long time. Drunis did it in his 40s. Uh, even yeah. um, Brian, Shaw. Brian Shaw. You know, they've oh. been doing it for kind of a while. But Eddie was like, you know what? I'm going to pull 11, world world's strongest man, and then say, fuck it, I'm out. You know? And yeah, because he Thor knew he almost the died thing. the day he pulled 11. So it's like how much I heard. Do you I have? heard rumors that he had like injected in adrenaline prior to that pull. Well, I it's funny. I, I probably think that's true because I heard rumors like multiply guys would do that, you know, back in the day. Right. Like inject adrenaline. So I, I mean Yeah, just like I stick themselves that. on epi I, I saw right? needles at an XPC bench meet and I went just to see the circus. And there were definitely just there were definitely some whatever the meat day shit they would take. Halo testing. Halo testing or adrenaline, it was going down. <laughs> yeah, that is, dude, that's insane. Like, I yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can literally give yourself a heart attack right there, and it's just over. It's sick, dude. It's sick. For, yeah. for, for an XPC meet, you die in front of three judges wearing fucking Crocs and cargo shorts. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. So I got it. So I got to finish one with one that's personal to you, maybe, is... uh. uh Evan Cardone versus Garrett Fear. Who's hotter? <laughs> uh I think I think Evan only cause uh cause cause Garrett's uh natty for the time being. So Oh really? I didn't know that. Sorry, Garrett. Sorry, Garrett. We didn't mean to do that. Um, I've just figured if So the only reason I'll the only reason I'll chime in on this briefly is because he's touched on it before. Um, but basically he's basically said if he could be natty, he would. Uh when he first started lifting, he kind of just was around a crowd that encouraged usage mm-hmm. and he kind of just dug himself into a hole and that's just you know required. No, I know I know what that uh, hole is. We we have friends who they took something when they were 17 or 18 and they're on TRT for presumably the rest of their their uh sexual life at least, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but dude, Evan Cardone is the bloat the bloat god. That yeah. dude is just swollen. That dude sucks, man. That dude sucks so bad. He's so annoying. All right. Well, yeah. You know what? I was going to have a follow-up question about how you approach coaching a natty versus non-natty. Yeah. And now I don't I don't want to ask it because I don't want to talk about Garrett anymore. Um, but <laughs> Do you coach any, like, untested or unnatural lifters, or is that against? Well, I mean, I've co- the majority of time that I've coached Garrett, he's been on stuff. 
Oh, so, I, I see. I see. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, you, so do you pound it, more volume with those guys? Like I, I coach US, I coach a US, USPA lifter. I know he's on TRT. Um, yeah, it seems I've, like nothing I can do can hurt him. I've definitely found that with, um, cause I coach one other untested guy who's not really, you know, he's not like a high profile lifter or anything, but you know, aside from Garrett, they're definitely in my experience, at least, um, you know, they can definitely handle more like junk volume, I guess. But there's also just like these moments where it's like everything's going fine. And then they're just super sensitive to some random injury. Like, it's mm. just like, you know, you, you push the intensity for, you know, a couple of weeks and then just something gives. And it's like, that just doesn't happen. Or at least hasn't happened in my experience with raw lifters nearly as much. Um, like I've definitely just had these instances with, with Garrett where, you know, granted he had, had kind of lingering injuries before coming to me. Um, but it's, you know, I think they can handle more of this, like, you know, just junk volume if the, if the percentages are lower, but once we start to push things, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you're almost waiting for the other shoe to drop. So it's, you gotta it's be more... careful. I almost like I'm coaching a guy out of his weight class. He's getting so fucking muscular and I'm like, this isn't normal. Yeah, <laughs> you got connective tissue is keeping up with your muscle. Gain. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's one of the really one of the last. I'm sure we'll have something to to finish off, and the guys will. But I know you tried your hand at coaching equipped lifters, and you know that's something I. I think I'm probably one of the only coaches out there is like I want single ply equipped lifters. That's what I do. I'm like yeah. all my company equipped excellence. Um. What did you, how was your experience with that? Like, is that something you're going to do again in the future? Like, what did you learn from that experience? You know? I mean, I definitely, I definitely learned a good amount from that. Um, you know, the first one that I worked with was, was Coy Jordan, um, who was pretty successful, you know, in shout out to Coy Jordan. Yeah. We love Coy Jordan. Yeah. He's in our, he's in our generation of collegiate. I workers. actually competed against Coy Jordan in, uh, 2015 and 16. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, so Coy, Coy is, uh, you know, we used to be pretty good friends. Not that we're not friendly now, but just haven't spoken to him in a while. Um, but I coached him equipped for a bit. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot from him because he obviously has a very strong background in equipped lifting. And we got on calls and he would just kind of explain to me, like, the timing of when to introduce what. Because obviously that's a big, you know, variable where some people, you know, Perkins, for example, has talked about it. He's like, yeah, just get in a suit like two weeks out and I'm fine. And then other That's people not are normal. like, yeah, exactly. So it's like, you have somebody doing that. And then you have other people who are obviously along the lines of like, I need to like gradually work my way into being able to pull the strap, you know, have the straps up, squat to depth with, you know, anything near what I would attempt on meet day. And the same thing with the boards on, on bench. Um, but I guess the way that, the way that I look at, uh, you know, I would never tout myself as being an equipped coach like I was I was gonna say expert but I wouldn't even call my you know I would never claim that I could even you know I would never advertise myself as being able to coach equipped I think I was just fortunate enough to be be trusted with it and I had good outcomes um but I think the the one thing that I'll that I'll say is I think that because equipped is you know an a, a an older generation or it's dominated by an older generation within the sport I feel like there's probably and it's, and it's kind of unfortunate, I guess, for the sport of equipped where 
you know, there are a lot of coaches nowadays who have learned a lot as the, as the knowledge of strength training and sports science, as it relates to powerlifting has advanced, but those people don't coach equipped or don't want to coach equipped. And I'm sure there are things that, you know, equipped coaches are doing that maybe, you know, could be supplemented or revised by like what the current, you know, state of powerlifting coaching is where it's like, okay, the, the, the general principles of, you know, when you're, when you're using what board and all this stuff, you know, might apply. And again, I'm not, you know, an expert, so I might sound silly with what I'm saying. Um, but I do think that like, there's definitely something that could be brought over from the raw side as it relates to programming that if there were ever a coach, you know, who was, you know, my era, who's really passionate about equip lifting and then got into it, I'm sure you would see some sort of changes to how equipped gets programmed. And then I think that would probably, you'd probably see some bigger equipped totals. At least that's what I, you know, think. Cause it's like, you know, equipped came up at the same time where, you know, just the older style of raw lifting, you know, if you look at like the, you know, who you're talking about Kevin can before and his training mm-hmm. methodologies, it's like, that is an antiquated way of doing things on the raw side. And that came up around the same time as, you know, equipped. So I feel like there's probably some room for revision. It's just that those worlds never, you know, interact with each other. Yeah. Kevin's going through his West side phase, you know, and like, I've said this so many times, like I started powerlifting in 2007, you know, there wasn't Instagram, there weren't articles online, there weren't podcasts. Um, there weren't even people really out there charging you for online coaching. That wasn't even a business model, right? So what you did was watch VHS tapes of Brad Gillingham or Louis Simmons and read West. The only person who had articles up was Westside or Dave Tate. Um, so a lot of people got exposed to what now is probably considered an antiquated way of training. Um, and like, I totally agree. I've never going to run my training that way or coach somebody like that. But I think like, and I think you'd agree and there's no really one system that's great. It's like we take things from so many systems. Like yeah, we pretty much do high volume training. We do high frequency, high volume. Uh, we time our high intensity lifts when we want them. Um, and, but we also introduce bands and chains at this point teach we probably only introduced bands and chains on the bench press like yeah. we've kind of figured out that you know that's probably the only lift it really is beneficial for and part of training squat and deadlift together isn't using bands and chains and shit it's it's comp having the two lifts complement each other and making sure you're you know being responsible with the two lifts at the same time where bench press you can kind of just fucking go ham because it's your one yeah. upper body lift compared to you know, having two lower, technically two lower body lifts. So, I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of people are still stuck in that era. Um, but, and then there's the total opposite side. There's a lot of weekly singles and shit like that. And, um, a lot of fucking gym, you know, I see weekly gym totals or daily gym totals. And I, I think that shit's too far to the other side of the spectrum. I think something in between is beautiful. It's fun. Um, it works, it's sustainable for a long time. Um, so I think, you know, depending on when you meet somebody in their powerlifting journey, you know, is when, you know, you're judging them on what they're doing then. And, uh, 
I think everybody eventually finds their way, but I think we're all learning, right? Yeah, here's just one thing, just like quick, is just I think that it's kind of a a perception from a lot of raw lifters that that people think that people who train equipped are going to follow like more of a west side method and that is just not the truth. I would say mm-hmm. that like more than 90% of USAPL equipped lifters do not follow a conjugate method. And yeah. actually what they do is they kind of follow more of a Boris Shako slash Russian slash linear periodization. Yeah, some kind of well even more of like a block type of periodization where they focus a little bit more on volume and wave the overall volume over a few weeks and increase intensity. And then they'll, they'll throw on the gear and, you know, they'll just kind of get used to it by increasing weight over, you know, a number of weeks. And I find that system to be not great in general. Um, so I know what you mean by, like there's an old guard. I think that that way of training is not great and that needs to be revised. Um, but I think that a lot of the stuff that is applicable to current powerlifting training as it pertains to raw would be too much for equipped because of what it's going to do to your central nervous system and recovery in general. So I think that what would benefit programming for equipped is that one, someone who's really fucking smart raw with programming would just put themselves through an equip cycle and then make changes over like five or six months. And then we would have oh, like someone like Charles. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, the, what I was, what I was getting at with the revisions is not necessarily to train the way you would raw equipped. Um, Cause I totally agree with you. Like the stress on your body of having these super maximal loads and trying to match volume or match, you know, uh, a rep range at a certain intensity mm-hmm. would be, too much. But I think that the main thing, because I've seen equipped programs, and I think the one thing that I would say that probably needs to get explored is more so like what you're doing when you're out of your suit, like you, what your raw programming looks like. I, agree I feel with like, that. yeah, I feel like the, the, the periodization on the raw side, once you're out of the suit, can get revamped so much better because, you know, you obviously need to be, you know, used to your suit and you need to feel, you know, comfortable and, and also, you know, I guess, peak your, your equipped timeline. Um, but if you're stronger raw, you're going to be stronger in your suit. 100%. And I think, yeah, I, and I think that that's kind of one of the, the lacking areas because, you know, even if, you know, everything that you're doing in, in your, in your equipped training is sound, like I, I, you know, my perception was uh, what you just said about, you know, I'd never thought that it was a conjugate style of training, but I think that, um, you know, when it comes to how you program raw is just, I guess, you know, time shifted back or kind of antiquated where, you know, just the supplemental work that you're doing raw could be given a lot more attention. Um, and I think if that is more fine tuned, like you already know what you're doing equipped, like you're just going to be, you know, stronger, I guess, once you get in your, in your suit. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I think, uh, something I've been trying to focus on is maintaining, you know, raw peak strength is through the meat instead of letting it drop off, things like that, keeping intensity slightly higher than maybe I was like five years ago um, on days you're not in your equipment. And actually, you know, and I think it's it's very observant of you to realize that there is an acclimation period for equipment because the way I coach lifters, that's the most important thing about training is the acclimation periods and, and getting dialed in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
as you go through time, you do suffer in raw strength. But, you know, for a beginner, I have them in equipment more because there's so much to learn. But an experienced yeah. lifter and myself, as myself, I may be getting my squat suit five times over a 10 week period. And, yeah. you know, so that's obviously every other week um, because squatting a thousand pounds every week is just not sustainable. Yeah. Um, but then what are you doing on that every other week that is raw, right? I think there's, yep. there's, there's a lot to learn about that, you know, where it's still super important um, to what's going to end up being the product on the platform. So yep. I think it's a great point. I, I would love for more people to do it. You know, I guess if like a lot of the equipped coaches just aren't well known because the volume just isn't there. Um, yeah. There's a lot of smart people on our side. And I, I guess my one of my, a question for you is if if someone came to you and said, hey, I'm an equipped lifter, can you help me? What would you say? So what I would, my, my honest answer to that would be, you know, I am not an equipped coach. Um, I've worked with a very small number of people who have competed equipped. And I'm sure if you do your research, you can probably find someone with more equipped experience than me. <laughs> but if you are, if you are dead set on working with me, then like, you'll have to understand that this is something that is going to be, you know, a learning process for me as well. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not versed enough to say that I'm, you know, 100% confident at coaching equipped. I'm just going to, you know, be observant um, in terms of, you know, whatever acclimation period it takes for you to get used to your equipment. If you have some sort of historical data on, you know, what, what you've done in terms of timing there, like that is literally the best information that I could possibly go off of to make any sort of educated decision. Um, but I mean, with like I, my main opinion about it is what what you said joe where it's like you know i think that a lot more could be done to maintain the raw peak strength longer um and you know what you mentioned about intensity is is 100 true because like even on the raw side like just lifting raw period there are a lot of lifters who are just super sensitive to intensity right so it's like once you start introducing you know singles doubles whatever it's like even if volume is matched it's like once you pass a certain threshold of intensity it has the different effect on that person's recovery even though in your head you're like oh they're doing the same amount of reps they're doing the same tonnage whatever it might be like they should be recovering the same but it never works out that way so it's like you got to give credence to okay you're literally getting in a suit and you have a hundred plus pounds more on your back than you would if you were raw that's going to affect you but also not, you know, fuck raw these last four weeks of your training cycle. Mm -hmm. I agree. And then there's just like, you watch how like Ray Williams trains and you're like, does programming mm -hmm. even matter? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or Keith McConey when he, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like does this, does any of this fucking matter? So bro, I remember, I remember I asked, <laughs> Keith, cause I saw him at a local meet one time and I asked him about his training and this was like kind of past his prime. So I felt okay in, in talking to him about it, but he was like, man, I just do the same workouts over and over until they get harder. And then I add weight. I'm like fucking genius, bro. You're sick. <laughs> You're sick, man. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I think that's a good way to close that conversation. Um, I don't know if you guys have any more questions. No, I think this was awesome. I mean, we spent a lot of time. I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, to come on here with us. Um, do you want to, you want to like plug your coaching services? I know you're probably, probably full of, you're probably not even accepting new clients or new, yeah. uh, new athletes. Right. But let's plug the apparel then. Where yeah. can we get the apparel? All right. So I won't plug my coaching. Um, 
my personal coaching, but I do have coaches who work underneath me. So if you want to send an inquiry, you can do that on teamnori.com. And that is also where you can get your apparel, teamnori, N-O-R-I.com. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I'll be restocking the No Bad Days t-shirts. And then probably in the next four to six weeks, I will have a new launch altogether. So Awesome, man. Exciting. Do you make 3X? I do. So actually, I... Uh, I took a, I had a pre-order uh, two weeks ago and I got a request for a three X and we put in the order for a three X so I can make it happen. All right, man. Good stuff. <laughs> well, I think this was awesome. This is probably going to be, you know, a big episode for us. So we appreciate it. It's been two hours. Um, yeah, man. I, appreciate you having I know, me on. I know you and your, we, you know, we like to drink and gamble and sleep two hours a night. I know you like to sleep nine hours a night. So, uh, <laughs> You know, take it easy. Hit me up. We'll we'll chat soon. I'm sure, man. Thank you. Yeah, for sure, dude. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was great to talk to all of you. All right, man. Awesome. Take it easy. Good night. Peace. Later. Good night. See ya.